Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry designed for you to fail. You are about to hear the first part of my interview with my friend, Ryan McKnight. And this is going to be the first episode in a continuous two-parter. So the first episode is going to be up today and part two will be up tomorrow. So you don't have to wait a whole week. I'm going to start doing that as more interviews are coming in and I have more content to post. So um, get excited for that. We're going to have a lot more episodes coming up. I think most of the interviews I've done recently have been two-parters and I have a couple little things up my sleeve that I've been working on. Um, and those are just going to be episodes with just me. So get excited. You guys are amazing. Enjoy. All right, you guys. I have an incredible person on the show today. Um, I've actually interviewed this person before on the podcast I used to do, and the episode never came out because our hiatus and all of this stuff. And so I knew that I needed to interview him again. He is one of my friends. We met in this anti-MLM movement. He is an expert at what he does, and his voice is incredibly valuable, and his knowledge is incredibly wonderful as well. So I'm going to introduce my friend, Ryan McKnight. Hi, how you doing? Hey. Thanks for so, having me. of course, um, please tell people who don't know who you are, who you are, what you do, and why I'm even talking to you in the first place. Okay. Uh, I'm just a regular guy, but uh, I, I'm, uh, I guess, as they say, an accountant by trade, if you will. I have a master's degree, a bachelor's and a master's degree in accounting, and I work uh, in the accounting field. That's my day job and how I pay the bills. Um, and uh I, some people know me from a website that I started um, a, a couple of years ago called Mormon Leaks, mormonleaks.io, which kind of morphed into truthandtransparency.org. Um, and you can visit that website for people that want to get to know that a little better. We're, a little, we're on a little bit of a hiatus, so there's not a lot of new content, but we do have some things sort of coming in the works uh, for those that are listening to this as it's being posted as a fresh episode. But um and as far as uh, MLM and I mean, I appreciate the expert uh, tag that you put on me. I, I, I suppose I'm more of an expert than the average person. I, I, I'm a little shy to use that term because um, our, our uh, knowledge on anything is always limited and there's always going to be somebody that knows more than more than me about things and, and everything. But I have been following and tracking um, MLMs for the better part of uh, shoot, going on 20 years now. Um, and that all started when I almost, luckily I got lucky that I didn't get roped in, but I almost got roped into a, an MLM in my early twenties. And, um, I didn't necessarily, I, I didn't necessarily identify the scam right away. I mean, I knew it was wonky enough not to participate, but I, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to act like all of a sudden I, I realized that this was this big scam. I didn't right away. Um, but uh, 
over time, as I began to see these things more and more, and, and I, I come from Mormonism, I used to be a Mormon, and, and so obviously, as we're going to talk about today, the MLMs are very prevalent within Mormonism, and so I, as I got married, started a family, and, and you know, start going about my life as a, as a good Mormon boy, I start to see more and more MLMs, and I start to recognize the harmful nature of it, and um, so anyway, I've been, there's a number of people that I still track, uh, you know, it, this is mostly a hobby, although I, I have toyed with the idea of, of, of doing a, a YouTube channel, which I probably still will at some point. I, I'm actually in the process of designing one. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it, it is something that I love to do. I think it's important. Uh, a lot of Mormons who know about my work with Mormon leaks and truth and transparency um, criticize me for wanting to quote unquote, bring down the Mormon church, which I don't think is the true, a true depiction of what I try to do. But if you accuse me of trying to bring down MLMs, then, then I would say, yes, that is an accurate statement about my feelings about MLMs. So, but I, I will say too, before we get into um, the meat and potatoes or whatever we're going to talk about today, uh, since, since I've already brought up Mormonism a couple of times, I'm sure that you have listeners that are Mormons. I, I, I would, guess because the nature the topic it, it attracts definitely mormons and so um i, I do want to say that um it's important among mormons to separate culture doctrine truth myth you know old wives tales these kinds of things and I think today there's going to be a lot of criticism of what most would call Mormon culture. And even that criticism is going to be with a particular aspect of Mormon culture. And it's important to remember that just because there's a negative aspect to Mormon culture doesn't necessarily mean that the Mormon church itself is a, is a horrible institution. Now, I obviously have my issues with the institution. I'm not going to try to whitewash that fact. But that's not really what today's discussion is about, at least from my perspective, and I don't think yours either, Roberta. And so, you know, if 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 I get a little harsh on uh, my criticism of some aspect of, of Mormon culture that I think feeds into and enables MLMs, and that would include maybe criticism of some of the leadership aspects of the Mormon church, I am not in any way, shape, or form criticizing the doctrine or the truth claims, which, by the way, I can do if I really wanted to, but I don't want to. That's not what we're here for. I don't care if people believe in Mormonism. I truly don't. Um, I mostly care about how informed people are. So if there's any Mormons listening to this and you think that I'm trying to say that you're a bad person because you're a Mormon and you, you associate with an organization that I think enables uh, MLM, that is not what I'm saying. Okay. Mormonism is a massive religion that's been around for a long time. There's a lot of nuance and there's plenty of things that the church, the Mormon church does good. I suppose I, I, I could, I could make a list of that. Uh, there's plenty of things they do wrong. And today we are going to be talking about one of those things that Mormon culture gets wrong, which is their participation and enabling of MLMs. So I don't know if that was a good enough disclaimer and Roberta add something to that, but I just hope people don't feel like I'm attacking their religious beliefs. Today, exactly. I, I truly am not trying to do that. Exactly. And, and that's what we do here on this podcast. I mean, this is an educational podcast. Um, I just want everybody to have as much information about what they're getting themselves into so that they can make the most informed decisions. And again, this is not a, a discussion about the Mormon religion. It is about the parallels of the LDS church and multi-level marketing and how deep it goes. And maybe some of the stuff that you didn't even know was connected 
Because again, if you're getting yourself involved in something, especially like this, that has a very high loss rate and a very high risk, you should know what you're associating with. And if you are Mormon, you should understand the, the correlations between these two things because they are incredibly similar. And, and you know, there are uh, plenty, and I used to be one of them, believing Mormons who, who believe in the, in the religious tenets of, of the faith who despise this aspect of Mormon culture. I was one of those Mormons when I was a believing Mormon. And I would, I would venture to guess uh, if any of your Mormon listeners, as I started talking, got a little bit sort of seized up because they're like, oh, who's this anti-Mormon? Hopefully they've realized now that, you know, they are probably in that category as well of, I love the religious tenets or whatever, uh, but yeah, this, this aspect of the culture has got to go. So let's, right. hope, let's, let's all That's unite on, on that. Yeah, let, let's let's unite on that common ground here in this podcast. Absolutely. So let's um, let's start getting into the meat of potatoes, like you said. Um, so I know that you are not in Utah, but obviously Mormonism is in Utah. A lot of multi-level marketing companies are in Utah. Um, in fact, it is the number one state for multi-level marketing. I don't think anybody hears that fact and goes, what? That's new. Um, it is the number one state. There are a ton, and I wrote them down because I was absolutely prepared for that. So I wrote down a few that I think people would recognize. There were a few that I didn't even recognize. I mean, there's like over 300 multi-level marketing companies, but some of the multi-level marketing companies that are founded and, and run in Utah, uh, include New Skin, Mona V, Sunrider, Neeways, Usana, DoTerra, Unique, Perfectly Posh, Perfectly Posh. Sorry, what that's is a, that one? Um, what is I think one? it's like a, like a Bath and Body Works, like a Lush okay. kind of thing, like bath salts and, and bath stuff. And then probably the most famous one um, that that has the most Mormon correlation is Young Living. Um, which I found in my research um, that Gary Young is a direct descendant of Brigham Young, um, who, you know, is a big dude in the Mormon church. Uh, and we talked about that a little bit before I hit record. Very interesting yeah. sort of stuff. So <laughs> Utah really is this like MLM shelter state. Um, I started looking it up. I said, what, what is the, the business? And, and, and we can talk about this because you are have a master's in accounting. So you also are a really good numbers guy, which is another thing that I, I love when I talk to you about this stuff, because you really do get it. Um, but Mormon, I mean, sorry, not Mormon, Utah business laws. Uh, they aren't like the Cayman Islands, which I talk about in another episode that is coming up, the Cayman Islands, but there are definitely no Cayman Islands, but they are, um, I, I will say that multi-level marketing, surprisingly, is the second biggest industry in Utah behind tourism. That, like, that that's... doesn't surprise me. I didn't know that stat, but it, it's not shocking. <laughs> that, that's a little like, what? So behind yeah. tourism, <laughs> it's MLM. <laughs> Um, yeah. uh, per capita, there are more MLMs in Utah than any other state, which again, not surprising, but also a little like, oh, wow, you see it on paper. I see those stack stats and I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, the, the property tax in, in Utah is 0.58%, mm-hmm. which I, I, I didn't know that, uh, it has is a that flat, a low, is that a low number? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I own a house and pay property tax, but I don't pay close enough attention to how much. Right, you're like pay. I don't know the percentages, but that seems I, I like less than one percent. It's less than one yeah. percent. It's just over half of a yeah. percent. So that seems yeah. kind of low, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I'm in California and everything is expensive. So I'm like, what? Yeah. Um, five probably point, is low. So it's 4.95% as a flat income tax. Well, I, then, I've got them beat on that here in Nevada. We got well, yeah, in Nevada, for <laughs> sure. You guys got that beat. Um, there's but yeah, no, no, that is low. There's yeah. no local income taxes is, that I could find. It said that the Beehive State has no local, I, I'm assuming Utah's the Beehive Yeah, I think state. it's just a state level. I think it's just a state level. <laughs> right, tax. so there's no like that. Uh, and then um, there's also less governmental intervention and regulation in Utah. So those were a couple things that sort of popped up to me as maybe beneficial reasons that multi-level marketing chooses Utah as one but then I feel like the other side of it is possibly because it's this built-in customer base base and this built-in loyalty and this built-in already following Um, and so another thing that I wrote down is a couple different reasons why maybe Mormons uh, would get involved in multi-level marketing. So we'll, we'll, we'll go down those ones as well. Um, yeah. But for me, I, I, some of these stats are really, really interesting to me. Yeah. Did you mention in that list of uh, Utah-based uh, MLMs, did you mention doTERRA? Because they're kind of like a direct competitor. I, I, you yeah. Them, but so both yeah, doTERRA definitely... and Young Living, right. which are direct it... competitors of each other, sell the exact same product. <laughs> like our next door neighbors in this whole entire yeah. thing. If you, um, for those that have never been to Utah uh, or, or not very much, if you basically Utah for the most, I mean, there are, it is a big state that does kind of spread out a little bit, but the vast majority of the cities and residents live right along the I-15. Um, it, it's, it's referred to as the Wasatch Front there locally because it's right on the edge of the Wasatch Mountains. And if you drive um, through Utah, especially let's say like Salt Lake City to maybe a little bit beyond Provo, which is, let's just call it like a, a hundred mile stretch. It's, it's less than that, but let's just call it a hundred mile stretch. Um, you will see these companies, pretty much all the ones you've named, a lot of the ones you named have buildings and marquees big enough to where you just see them from the freeway. <laughs> and you just and like Young Living, I know I can't remember exactly where it's at because it's been a while since I've driven it, but it's like I want to say it's like south of Provo. That like Young Living has a huge farm, and you see it from the freeway, and you see the big sign where they where they um, farm a lot of the. They don't get all of their plants that they use for the essential oils there locally. I believe some of them are are imported from Asia somewhere, but they do certain one certain plants. And uh, I, I, I can recall you, when you drive by this thing, it's these colorful fields of whatever flowers they're, they're, uh, they're growing. I don't even know. But yeah, doTERRA, New Skin, U- uh, Unique has a beautiful corporate office, beautiful, that has the, you can see it perfectly from the freeway. I mean, if it didn't say Unique on it, you'd like, you'd look at it and say, man, I'd love to go work for whatever company that is. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, Herbalife has a building. huge one in, in LA, like okay. right off the freeway oh, yeah. that I would always yeah. like, when I would drive to LA to work, I would see it all the time. And I'm like, Argh. yeah. and then LuLaRoe <laughs> used to have theirs off the um, the 15 and the oh, 91 yeah. in Corona, but they no longer have that. Building. Are they, <laughs> they moved out of California, right? Their headquarters or? Uh, um, I think just their distribution. The is okay. in North Carolina. I think their headquarters are still technically in but Corona. They, uh, they just dialed know. it down as far. Becca as knows the, all that stuff. I, I don't know yeah. the day-to-day operations of Lularoe. Yeah, I just yeah. don't have the, the mental capacity. <laughs> I but can't do that true. anymore. 
It is true, though, that, I mean, you know, while there are a lot of regulatory and tax reasons for those companies to be there, I do think the main reason they're there is because if you can, you always want to be as close as possible to your customer base. And also the people that are starting these MLMs are usually Mormons and they live in Utah. And so where are they going to start? They're not going to move out of state to start a business. You know, they're going to right. go ahead and start the business where they already live. So, um, yeah, and, I, and we're going to get into some of the different reasons. As yeah. Well. So it lends itself so easily to, to them being recruited. Exactly. That's an actual great segue. So I found this website. Um, it was a bunch of different reasons. I thought it was a really fantastic blog article. I took a lot of notes and I use it as my main sort of source for the questions that I'm going to ask and the things that we're going to talk about. So I will link that um, in the show notes so that if people want to read it and get a little more in-depth and get this writer's perspective, by all means, they can too. I really just took her talking notes. Um, so the first thing um, that they say is that one of the reasons that Mormons often gravitate toward MLM is the insularity of the, the trusting and, and, um, and wanting what's best and being taught that you're part of this community and, and it's trusting. I know we talked about that in our podcast interview that, that nobody heard. Um, yeah. And I mentioned Ted Bundy as, mm. as somebody on the, on the very like dirty side of the trust of the Mormon church, but Ted Bundy, after he committed all kinds of murders, decided to hide out in Utah and joined the Mormon church and was like, I'm a super cool, nice guy too. And like was able to hide in the Mormon church and have this very trusting community that was like, we believe everything you say, you're Mormon too. So in your experience, is that something that you see and, and, and believe as a reason as well that, that Mormons are are joining these um, companies in droves? Is that tr built in trust? Yeah, I mean, this is essentially a form of, of, of affinity fraud. And if, if, for those that are listening that never heard of affinity fraud, go and look it up. And, and listen, I, 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 I don't want to speak for Roberta, but I'm going to probably use strong language like fraud and scam and, and illegal pyramid. Oh, that's mean all that, welcome here, okay. Ryan. All of that <laughs> yeah. is welcome here. I, and, and it's important to distinguish, like, uh, you can be a fraud without actually technically being against the law. You know, I mean, the law doesn't cover every little thing that it should. So, um, you know, it is an affinity fraud. It's there's really no other way around it. An affinity fraud is basically when um, a scammer, somebody with nefarious intentions, uses a commonality that they have between them and their victim as a way to build trust. And you see this in. Um, religious, you know, re among religious groups, you see this in racial minorities, um, any kind of thing that's not the majority. And, 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 and I know that in Utah, you know, Mormonism is the majority, but on a, on a grander scale, Mormonism is a minority religion. And so there is this sort of, just like there are among racial minorities and other religions, there is this sort of sense of like, we need to look out for each other. And so if you look, if you Google affinity fraud, you'll find all kinds of cases of like actual illegal activity that's tagged as affinity fraud uh, along these lines. And the most famous one that a lot of people don't realize was affinity fraud is um, Bernie Madoff was technically a form of affinity fraud. Now he, his fraud grew so big that he was scamming people that were not sort of part of his, uh, you know, his group, which, which in his case was the Jewish community. But if you look at the origin story of Bernie Madoff and where he got the majority of his money, it was from other Jewish people. And if you read the accounts of all a lot of these interactions that he had where he was convincing them, he 
leaned heavily into this commonality between him and them of, you know, hey, we're both Jewish, we got to look out for each other, we're all in this together type of a thing. And so that that's kind of what affinity fraud is. Now, in it, more uh, Utah is consistently in the top five, usually in the top three in the country, if you look at the FBI stats on financial frauds. And I'm talking about actual illegal activity that people go to jail for. And that is because of this tight knit community that you were talking about where and I've experienced this. And, and by the way, I, I still work on shedding this. I still have this in my psyche to a certain degree. You meet another Mormon and there is this sort of automatic sort of trust like, OK, you're, you know, you're going to be an honest person uh, and especially you're going to be honest with me uh, because I'm a fellow Mormon and you would never do anything to to violate that trust and honest uh, relationship. And of course, as we know, uh, you know, that's really not true. And so. Um, MLM is a breeding ground for that kind of activity, whether they realize it or not. Sometimes it's not a conscious thing that they do, like with other scams, you know, like somebody like Bernie Madoff, who is consciously scamming people, right? But, but it's there. The, the characteristics are there. And um, that trust, um, you know, what's the saying as it goes, uh, familiarity breeds contempt is basically the way it goes, is basically the way you sum it all up. You know, um, you bring up an important point that when you were talking, I was like, oh my God, they are doing affinity fraud. So there is um, an MLM out there and I'm going to name them. They're named Melaleuca and they are an MLM and they're a shop club. They say they're a shop club. They're not an MLM and they are literally, and I'm watching it happen. I have friends on my feed that have left LuLaRoe and joined Melaleuca. And my in-laws, my, my former in-laws were involved in Melaleuca before I was ever involved in LuLaRoe. So I knew, oh my God, like the amount of stuff they had to give us because they had to continue buying this, like it was ridiculous. So they are actually um, using affinity fraud to go after anti-MLM people and people that are outside and have left MLM claiming that Melaleuca isn't an MLM, it's a shop club. It's not a multi-level marketing company. It's not the same. I hate MLMs too. So the fact that you said that, and like, I just correlated that because I literally saw it like two days ago. Oh my God, that is incredible. (laughs) That's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what Melaleuca reps are doing is they are uh, using a form of affinity fraud to get people that are anti-MLM to join their multi-level marketing company. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I just literally clicked in my head just now. Well, and MLM companies have done this for a long time. I, I, I'll have to look into this because, you know, Melaleuca was really big in the 2000s and they've kind of dropped off, but maybe they're making a comeback with this rebranding. I don't know, but they, this is a common thing that MLMs do. You'll see, like, you, we've all now heard network marketing, which is almost as dirty of a word as MLM, but that was originally started to be used to sort of get away from that. Well, we're not an MLM, we're network marketers. And now maybe this is, you know, we're not an MLM or network marketers. We're a, what did you call it? A shop club or whatever. Uh, they call yeah, it. they're you know, just we're, zhuzhing we're, it up. That's all they're doing. We're, is the they're online ver- we're the online version of Costco. No, you're not. Right. <laughs> you, know? you buy vitamins uh, at Target, buy vitamins from us instead. You can right, get your right. cleaner and your toothpaste and your vitamins and your yeah. you know paper it's, towels it's, it's from a, us it's a marketing ploy and it'll work to a degree it'll work to a degree and and uh if it does work for initially you'll probably start seeing other companies do the same thing um you know i i know a company like a like a melaleuca can can get away with that market a little bit easier because they do have a pretty broad range of products and not every mlm has a but but still i think every mlm could probably try to call themselves a 
shop club or, you know, the online version of a Costco or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. yeah 100%. Nice. I mean, that's the same thing that Amway does. Like we'll just join right. Amway, yeah, Amway and then turn yeah. everything you buy into Amway yeah. versions yeah. and yeah, it's so much easier. Um, the exact same thing. Wow. Um, yeah. All right. So um, <laughs> excellent points. Um, another reason uh, that this girl posted is that money in LDS is seen as a blessing, um, which goes right into prosperity gospel, which is something that I talk about all the time uh, that multi-level marketing companies use as a ploy to get people to join. So tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah, you know, this is an interesting one because I agree with it 100%. But as a Mormon, I, sh- I would have struggled to see this one because for the average Mormon, they do not associate their doctrines and teachings uh, as part of a prosperity gospel system. But really it is. And, you know, for those that are active Mormons listening, I, I encourage you to take a step back. And even though, because usually when you hear prosperity gospel, you think of like the televangelist, the, the Joel Osteen, or even some of these more nefarious guys who've been to prison, whose names I'm, I'm blanking on right now. Uh, Gary Popov is a, a one of the big ones. <laughs> I think of like a big circus tent and like on like yeah. a dirt lot with like a sign right, that says right. like magic oils. And, and there's yeah. a guy inside that's like, I can cure you. That's yeah, what I think Mormons, of when I think of prosperity yeah. gospel. And Mormons don't really do that. And so when 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 Mormons hear, oh, you know, Mormonism is a prosperity gospel, and that's what helps feed the, into this, they don't see that because they're thinking what you're talking about. And so, but but if you think about what is prosperity gospel at its core, and it is that money is a blessing, that money is a sign of a blessing. And so, and there, and now if you look at it just like that and, and you get rid of like the frills uh, and pomp and circumstance that you think have to go along with that because it doesn't have to go along with that. Look at what a lot of the Mormon culture preaches. And I'll, and I'll say culture on this because from a doctrinal standpoint, you really don't know what Mormon doctrine actually is. So even though sometimes these things are taught from the pulpit, it's hard to identify what's actual doctrine or not. But what is definitely taught from the, from the pulpit as part of a cultural uh, sort of um, moray, if you will, uh, is this idea that the more righteous you are, the more adherent you are to the religion, the more financially blessed you are. And so when you look at, some, you know, they'll be, well, look at brother and sister so-and-so and, and you know, look at how blessed they are. Look, they've got eight kids, but they've still got this massive, you know, 6,000 square foot home and, and two brand new cars. And again, they, it may not be said that explicitly, but, it, you know, the, the, the word, the uh, undertones are there. And it's like, well, if they were not being righteous, the Lord would not be blessing them with these riches. And so- Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, on the flip side of that, when you have somebody that you know for a fact is not adhering to Mormon tenants, who happens to also be financially rich, uh, wealthy, or at least has the appearance of being wealthy, then, you know, in those cases, it's sort of shrugged off as well. You know, the adversary, the, the devil, or whatever word you want to throw in there can also use riches to deceive. But it's definitely talked about how riches can be used to bless. And so, in seeking out those sort of, I think, I personally think a lot of this is subconscious, but, uh, you know, I don't think most people are doing this consciously, but there is this subconscious need to show, hey, I'm a, I am on the good side of the line in the sand, and I want to be able to get that new Tesla, that new McMansion, 
all that stuff. And so when you look, if you look into this, you're going to find all kinds of keeping up with the Joneses aspect to Utah culture in some ways more than other places, even other sort of places that are known for their conspicuous consumption. It, it's really interesting. Um, you, you, there was a, and it may be changing right now, but there was a period, especially during the housing boom, there were no normal neighbor. There were very few normal neighborhoods. Like everything had to be like one, one upping whatever the newest neighborhood was in terms of size of the land and opulence or appearance of opulence of the house and all this kind of stuff, even though they were, you know, skimping on the, on the bones of the house, you know, on the outside, the houses looked like amazing. And so you can't, those that understand creating real wealth and real financial stability, you can't do that overnight. Real financial stability is not created overnight, except in very rare exceptions. Like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world are the exception, not the rule. And even in cases like that, those successes were not created overnight. We just never knew about these people during the times that they were building these businesses, right? And, and the, the struggles that they may have gone through. And so but but wanting to get these things done overnight is one of the things that drive people towards MLMs because there are overt and and covert promises of these quick riches and and so right. it seems like an attainable thing. Yeah, you know, know that was something that to... we definitely saw in LuLaRoe and I know that you yeah. are are very versed in the LuLaRoe and that's sort of how we all met and everything but yeah, yeah. Um, we see that I have an interview coming up with a former LuLaRoe, uh, a girl. Um, it's very interesting for me to interview LuLaRoe people because I'm like, yes, that's exact. I saw that too. And she talks about being invited to Mark and Deanne's house, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and seeing the beautiful pool and being, and she's like, the house wasn't really that opulent. I mean, it's, it was nice, but you know, I'm like, well, they're in California. You don't get a lot for your dollar here. Um, <laughs> but she goes, the thing that was really weird was like Mark pulled out his cars and people were taking pictures with these cars. And um, something that LuLaRoe always told us, like post these FOMO posts, like make people envious of you, like show them your success. I mean, they weren't saying envious in that way, but show them your success. Because when you show people your success, like they want to join as well. And we see prosperity gospel and that whole like, showing people how great it is in MLM because it's an, en- an en- enormous and incredible recruitment tactic to play on those people's fears of not having everything that they wanted and society tells them they need. And so the prosperity gospel with, with, um, with the money as a blessing and MLM, they all go right hand in hand and work synonymously with each other. Yeah, and, and if I may um, segue into this to something that's probably on your checklist somewhere. I don't know if it's the next one or, or one, but I, I think it's important to segue into this right now because it is, it is, I think, directly tied to it. This sort of underlying prosperity gospel and need to sort of show your righteousness through your, your temporal wealth um, creates, there's another aspect of Mormon culture that blends with that that create it, it starts to be another part of the perfect storm that that brings Mormons into, into into MLMs and that is gender roles and the role ah, of women yes right? that's now, my next on my checklist to stay at home okay mom. good and this is ah, the perfect segue into that look at and us I don't know. <laughs> we're on the same page so the thing is is as we all know or we should know at this point those that follow this kind of stuff MLMs disproportionately target women 
obviously there are men in MLMs and, and men yes. get scammed by MLMs. Let me interject are, really quick. The statistic oh, is 70, I think it's like around 75% of MLM participants are women. Only 25 yeah. or so percent are men. So it really yeah. does. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I really no, no, go ahead. It's a very important statistic for people to understand as we're going into this next topic is that 75% is women. Yeah. And let me put a little uh, a little twist on that, okay? For all of the, I'm sure mostly women that listen to your podcast that have been in MLMs, I want you to think about every man that was participated in your MLM that are part of that 25%. And tell me how many of those men do you think would probably not be there if it wasn't for their wife who was also in the MLM? A lot. That's a lot. lot. I mean, there's there's the whole thing in LuLaRoe. Right. Well, retire your husband and then husbands would join the business with their own businesses right. underneath their right. wives so they could start their own leg. I saw that right. in it works as well. Oh, once, once you uh, get to this next level, then you're going to get your husband and put him on and then yeah. you're going to build his team. And I was like, what? No. Yeah. And, 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 and so the real true number of like men that independently get into an MLM is really, really low. Now this is you know, caveat here. This is not to say that men cannot be scanned by MLMs. And in fact, I would contend that men have their own version of MLMs that, that they can get scammed into, which is sort of generically usually referred to as fake gurus. If you don't know what that is, service-based and you, and you're, MLMs. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah, and 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 a lot of times the structure is not a strictly MLM structure. But if you look into these. You know, Google fake gurus, watch some, you know, I would recommend if you really want to start going down this rabbit hole, go look up like a CoffeeZilla web, uh, YouTube. He does a great job of breaking down fake gurus. It, it's not identical to MLMs, but there's so many parallels. And there, where you where you see an MLMs, so in, fake, in the fake guru world, yes, there are women that get sucked into that, but it's almost all men. In MLMs, yes, there are men that get sucked into it, but it's almost all women. And, and, and really, when you look at the marketing of both industries, you can see that the MLMs are, are really marketed towards women and the fake gurus are really marketed towards men. And that's probably the main reason why. I think if MLMs shifted their marketing and then vice versa with uh, fake gurus, I, I think they could easily swap the, the sort of gender percentages of, of who's getting scammed. Ryan, so stop not- giving them ideas. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. 
Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. National Voter Registration Day is kind of a big deal. It's a yearly, nonpartisan holiday celebrating our democracy, and it's all about getting as many people as possible to, that's right, register to vote. So why is that important right now? Well, sure, local and state elections may not get as much attention as the midterms or the presidential elections, but they're still a super important way for you to use your voice to make an impact and help shape the future of your community. And one of the best parts Registering to vote is really easy thanks to organizations like Headcount. Get registered there in minutes and you won't have to worry about registration deadlines in your state. And then you'll be ready to participate in all of your upcoming local, state, and federal elections. That really is a big deal. Head to headcount.org forward slash Spotify now to register. That's headcount.org forward slash Spotify. See you at the polls. <laughs> this is not an issue of like, you know, uh, I, I, one time I said this on a podcast and I didn't explain it fully well. And somebody thought I was trying to say that women were more easily uh, tricked or whatever. And that is not the case. It's just literally just the way that MLMs are being marketed. They're just more geared. Like if I was susceptible to a financial scam, it's not going to be selling leggings, right? It's, it's not going to be beauty products. So that, that's why men are less likely to be sucked in. Um, and if you look at the MLMs that, that don't do, you know, that are more like, like there's one called, uh, what is it called? Um, what's one of these financial, ML, uh, like World Financial Group. I was going to say example, ACN which is, or yeah, uh, Legal yeah. Shield. These, Legal these Shield, ones, right? Yeah. Where, where the product is not really sort of, it can really kind of go either way on genders. You're going to see a lot more men in those. Um, the one that I almost got sucked into 20 years ago was, was World Financial Group. And, um, you know, that's another one where, uh, you know, there's probably more of a 50-50 split and maybe even a little bit heavy leaning on. So anyway, what I, what I was getting at with this is because MLMs um, target 
women and because women are the majority of the victims of MLMs. And then you have this sort of aspect of the appropriate gender roles in Mormonism, which has shifted over the years. But if you look at um, the, the culture and what was being spoken from the pulpit and, and, and being broadcast out to Mormons at large, let's say back in the, uh, maybe as late as even, I would say as even as late as the 90s and early 2000s, believe it or not, and then back farther, e even as early as uh, there was a, t uh, a, a, a talk, which is, you know, Mormons speak for like a, a religious sermon, uh, in in a uh, in a worldwide broadcast that was given in I want to say it was 2000 or 2001, where and it was done by one of the highest leaders in the Mormon Church. His name was James E. Faust. You can look this. Somebody can Google this and they can find the talk. It's still on the church's website. But they gave in his talk, like I said, around 2000 2001, he talked about gender roles and how how society is is. Um, continuously bastardizing, he didn't use that word, that's my word, but I don't remember the word he used, but bastardizing appropriate gender roles and making women think that, you know, they can do everything men do. And, and some of the examples he gives of things that he has seen in society that is crossing the line is he's he talked about how like, um, he's seen more and more women engaged in professional fighting. Like, I think he said kickboxing, I think is the specific example he used. Um, and then and then other things where he was sort of lamenting the fact that women were getting involved in certain things. How weird. Uh, how weird. But here's the, here's the best irony of it all, because it has shifted. Listen, there was a time where if you were a Mormon woman working outside of the home, you were suspect, okay? That's not so much the case. and. And this started to change in the early 2000s. Like this guy's talk in 2000, 2001 would, would be one of the last vestiges of these sort of backwards thinking. And the, the biggest irony is, is that there was a documentary made in approximately 2014, 2015, somewhere in that range uh, by the Mormon church. This was an internal sort of propaganda type uh, uh, documentary called Meet the Mormons. I think it might be on, on Netflix. It was on Netflix at one point. I don't know if it still is. So you can watch this. But the idea behind this documentary was to show the world sort of like, hey, look, we're normal, right? So they're profiling like Mormons that are, they don't fit the typical Mormon mold. And one of the people they profile was a professional kickboxer who was a female. Well, that's, they, that's better. <laughs> that's a little better here. Yeah. Now they didn't say, "Hey, ignore what our guy Faust said in 2000." They just pretend like that was never said and hope people hope it gets lost down the rabbit <laughs> That's hole. Incredible. They're like, "What but he said was bullshit." So we're just right. going to make this movie to show you the a good, different side of it completely. Yeah, but here is the good thing about that. The good thing is, is that in 2020, look, it is more acceptable for a Mormon woman to work um, outside or inside. I guess now in COVID, we have to include inside the home because that is starting to become normal. Um, it is for them to have employment. It is more normal than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but there still is a little bit of a stigma. Okay. So with that stigma, right? So you're, a, imagine that you're a, a girl, you're born into Mormonism. When you hit teen years and you enter into what they call young women's program, and this is where it's a program where it's just the girls and the boys have theirs, right? And in this program, now I, I was a teenager in the 90s for reference, guys, okay? So, and I realize that some of this has changed now, but some of this is still exists. But like, don't, 
comment on this and say, that's not what's done. Cause I'm telling you, this is what was done in the nineties and before, and even a little bit after, but the girls on, uh, they would have these weekly meetings, right. You know, and the boys would go off and they would do boy scouts and they would do basketball and, you know, these, um, maybe in the 2000s it became available, you know, gaming. Like I, I remember when I was one of the leaders for this as an adult in the 2000s, we, we would do like the online, like uh, what is it called? Call of Duty on that. We'd get computers and link them up and Call of Duty type of thing. Okay, the girls are learning how to bake lasagna, learning how to knit, right? Now, they would sometimes combine the activities and have a combined activity. Yet it, yet it was not strictly learning how to cook and knit, but this was... I never learned how to cook lasagna or knit in any of these classes. Okay. Wow. The girls definitely did. So, so my very best friend who listens to this podcast and she's about to have a little mini panic attack because I'm going to say her name, my best friend, Amanda, (laughs) who was in the documentary with me. I'm the one doing her hair. I'm doing her hair in the vice documentary. Um, She was raised in the Mormon church. um, And she always says to me, like, I don't, I can't believe that you don't know how to like sew your own clothes. I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, everybody I know knows how to sew their own clothes. I was like, I have no idea how to do that. Like I can sew a straight line. I can fix a hole. (laughs) And she was like, oh yeah. She's like, I'll just teach your daughter how to sew her own clothes. And it's like something that she's just like, this was just something that we were taught. Like every single person I know in my ward knows how to sew their own clothes. So you saying that and like me hearing her say that a long time ago, that correlation, Mm -hmm. I I mean, oh, hello, there it is, right? Yeah, and, and I agree with that because, now again, it, <laughs> there's always exceptions, right? But I will tell you, again, my family being in the age bracket we are, I, I'm 40 and all of my siblings are younger than me, but, you know, basically we're kids of the 80s and the 90s. And um, if you go back, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, my dad scanned, uh, you know, all of our family pictures from back then into uh, digital. And so I, you know, I was looking at through them the other day and, on all of the holidays, the Easter's, the Christmases, the, you know, these types of things. And we took like a family picture. My mom and my sisters are all in homemade dresses. <laughs> and that was, well, not every Mormon engaged in that kind of thing. It was very, if, if you were a Mormon back in the nineties and your family didn't do that, I, you know, if you're being honest with yourself, that some of your friends' families did do that. So that was um, part of the, uh, I'm going to need a picture of, of one of those things yeah, to put on the Instagram <laughs> because that's incredible. Okay. <laughs> I'll <laughs> Just send pick you your I'll favorite you one. one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but, but anyway, to the more important point of all of this. So you're, you're a teenage girl you're sort of learning how to be a good homemaker, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with this, right? I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But the problem here is that it's it's being taught in the context of, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing once right. you get to become an adult. Exactly. You're it's like, this a is what you are going to yeah. do. You have no other you're choice. This find... is your gender. So you yeah. do this. And it's like now today's, you know, like, yeah. it's, it's not even a thing outside of the churches with gender roles, but wow. Right. That's incredible. Like I was a kid a, in the nineties too. So I, yeah. I, even thinking back to my Mormon friends, I'm like, yes, they were doing this stuff too. <laughs> and you're, you're going to find a more, uh, a good Mormon boy who's prefer, preferably served a mission. He's going to get a good stable job so that you can stay home and have the babies and make, have his dinner ready and blah, blah, blah. And again, any woman that wants to do that, by the way, that, that's not a problem. Right. Um, so that's, I don't think that's what you're saying. That's not what I'm saying, right? The problem is, is they are, they're, they're, they're pigeonholing 
girl. So right, it's like they through, don't have a choice. They, they, yeah, this yeah. is what you will learn because this is what you're supposed to do. Versus, hey, uh, you want to go on the camping trip with the boys? Sure, go have fun. It, yeah. It's not like that. Yeah, and and if, if you do deviate, if you're kind of a re- quote unquote rebel, and you do deviate from these sort of uh, uh, traditional roles there's shame and judgment and guilt and all this stuff. So if you do follow this path, which not every Mormon does, right? People leave the Mormon church or they march to the beat of their own drum. But to the vast majority that do follow this path, get married, have five kids by the time they're 30, their husbands, yeah, when they got married, probably had a decent job. And even for the first couple of kids, but by the time you get to kid number five, you're like, oh my goodness, how am I going to, you know, how do I afford all this stuff? And you're like, well, shoot, I, 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 I kind of getting this itch that normal people get men and women of, I'd like to work. I'd like to be, have a career. I'd like to contribute, but I also want to do it in a way that doesn't bring shame on my family when I'm at church on Sunday. Well, here enters MLMs. So join a cult. Perfect, perfect <laughs> so- opportunity, <laughs> perfect opportunity to contribute to contribute greatly, you know, they'll tell you, and still be able to, quote unquote, as we've all heard, stay at home with your babies, which is a phrase I, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Um, And I can only imagine what it would be for a woman to hear that phrase, but stay at home with your babies as if that's like the end all be all of of, of it all. So um, that aspect of Mormon culture of like having very defined, gender roles. And even though in 2020, it is much more acceptable for women to work outside the home than it was 20 or 30 years ago, there still is a stigma. And there still is this idea of like, okay, it's okay for women to, like, I would characterize it today as the majority of Mormons would say, it's okay for women to work outside the home, but they should do everything possible not to if they don't have to. And so um, the, the, the MLMs come in and naturally feel that void, at least from an appearance standpoint. And I think that's one of many of the reasons why Mormonism lends itself naturally to the MLM business model. Yeah, a hundred percent. Another thing, which is like my next point is the built-in network. And I'm going to go right into the next point as well, because I think they go together is the door-to-door experience because you told me, uh, I know that you went on your mission and you just Mm -hmm. mentioned that. So let's talk about the next two points of why Mormons are a little more susceptible to joining these companies is not only are they born into this built-in network of friends and people that will help them and people that will support them and people that, you know, want to see good for them. And, and that is great when you're joining an MLM of having that built-in network already um, and a a built-in network, even to add more people to your downline, right? Like you already trust me. Like we talked about like the affinity fraud, (laughs) you already trust me. Why not? Um, And then, and and the door-to-door experience of um, uh, missionaries, excuse me, the door-to-door experience of missionaries and how you're kind of taught that rejection is just sort of part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that does play into I, I, Now, this is one, uh, I, I do agree with you, but this is one of probably the whole list that we're going to talk about that I, I think is probably the least correlated, but it is there. Um, one of the things why I, why I would sort of temper the correlation is because, uh, again, going back to this idea that, that, that MLMs primarily target women, and fewer women in Mormonism serve missions than men do. 
Now, there still are a lot of women that serve missions. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't have any idea really on what percentage of women, Mormon women and MLMs are, are returned missionaries or not. I really don't know. Anecdotally, my observation is, is that it's low. I don't see a lot of returned women missionaries in my circle that I observe, but that doesn't mean that there, there aren't. Um, but yes, to the extent that missions do prime Mormons for MLMs, for men, 100%. And some of that, even for women that don't serve missions, because they are around the missionary environment, they do understand this rejection better than maybe the average person does. And so, you know, when you're on your mission, and, you know, I, I served my mission in Barcelona, Spain, and we didn't necessarily knock on doors the way the sort of it's stereotypical to do here in the United States and other countries, because it's just not the way it worked there. But we were we were stopping people on the street, which I guess is, is almost the same thing, maybe even worse. I don't know. But the the at the bottom line is the rejection was there on a daily basis, and you know you're getting hundreds and thousands of rejections to to get one person that's receptive to even listen. Forget joining the church, just to even want to listen to what you have to say. Like in Spain, especially where where I was, you know, very atheist, anti-religion leaning society. Um, <clears throat> They, it was very hard to get people that were even remotely interested. And a lot of times the people that were interested, they were just interested because they wanted to, to be combative in their responses to us. So yes, Mormons understand rejection. But here's the other, here's the thing that I would even say about Mormonism that, that, that helps women and others to handle the rejection part of it than more than the mission aspect. And it's the fact that Mormons for their entire existence have either actually been outcasts of society or have perceived themselves to be outcasts of society. Wow. That's like a a perspective I didn't even think of. Yeah. And so they're used to being sort of like, especially if you spent time out of, out of Utah, which I never lived in Utah. And so I was always, um, uh, and I, I never really lived, I do now, but I, as a kid, I never really lived in a heavily Mormon populated place. I live in Las Vegas now, which has a good amount of Mormons, but as a kid, I lived in places where I was usually the only Mormon or one of very few Mormons in my school. And so when you're in that environment, you're used to sort of being that weirdo. I, I wasn't necessarily picked on, but there were jokes made at my expense because of it. And, and, and so you do get thick skin because of that. Forget the mission part of it. And also there is a, a persecution sort of narrative in Mormon history of, you know, society has always been looking to oppress Mormons. And so if in MLMs, one of the messages in MLMs is this idea that don't listen to the haters. Anybody that try to gives you pushback, they're just trying to put, put you down. Yeah, they're trying exactly. to hold you back. Well, that can that can be processed, I think, by a Mormon a lot easier than a normal person because they're being told that same thing at church. They're being told, oh, these people that make fun of Mormons, they're just doing that because they secretly know that we're the true church and they are jealous of it. Or they- Right, I was going to say, there's like an air of of jealousy. No one would ever talk to you unless they, or talk about you unless they were jealous of you. Yeah. I think that, that aspect of Mormon culture primes, especially Mormon women, to be able to have thick skin um, that you need in MLMs, then, then I would say the missions. Again, I don't want to say the missions don't have anything to do with it because they do, but it's, it's more this overarching idea of a persecution complex. And again, if you want to Google and read more about this, just Google like persecution complex and Mormonism, and you can read all kinds of in-depth, even academic studies on the subject. 
It's interesting. I'm taking notes as you're, as you're dropping these little bombs of info. So (laughs) I will look up those things and I will add those links to the show notes as well so that people can find good information. In the spirit of fairness and, 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 and wanting to go to great care to make sure people understand that I'm not criticizing the Mormon church as a religion. There were times in Mormon history where they were legitimately being persecuted by society. Okay. There were moments where they were treated unfairly by the local and even, I would say, arguably the, nat- the, the federal government here in the United States. But in my opinion, those days are long gone and were for a very short window, whereas I think in the Mormon culture, it's the idea that's being perpetuated is that that persecution never stopped and continues to go on today. And I don't quite agree with that. But I do agree with the idea that there were moments in Mormon history where they were legitimately persecuted against. I mean, Mormonism hasn't been around for very long. It's an American religion that was created here. So even even maybe a few years of persecution in the history of this would seem like a a very long amount of time percentage wise because it is Mm. a, a newer religion. So you know, but I, I've seen it. And, and that was definitely something that I uh, saw in the nineties as well with my Mormon friends and, and people being like, Oh, they're weirdos. They're Mormons. They wear magic underwear <laughs> yeah. and like that kind of stuff. Right. And I was like, That's, I'm like, I don't really yeah. care about that stuff. They're really yeah. nice. And they've got good snacks in their lunch that they trade right. me. So I'm cool. Well, and, and here's the thing in my experience, and I've, I've experienced this, especially after leaving Mormonism and where people have a lot more open conversation with me about what they really feel about Mormonism. And I think that's one thing Mormons don't realize is like there people usually don't share their true feelings about your religion with you when they believe you're an adherent to that religion because they want to be not because they're trying to be deceptive or, or, or rude they're just trying to be polite they're just trying yeah, to be respectful polite. And, there's a lot of times um, I hold my tongue and, even and in MLM is, stuff yeah I find that even though the average person sees you know the the quote-unquote magic underwear which is not a term I personally use but I get it um uh or all of the kooky you know no coffee no alcohol no whatever no whatever kooky belief that a person may say I, that is just whack, wacko they will still say they will still follow up saying but they're they are good people and they're fam- good family people right so it's like a lot of mormons i think have this like black and white thinking where it's like well if you think that my belief in magic underwear is crazy then you think i'm crazy no that's not the way it works <laughs> they just think you believe something crazy right and they don't mean you're completely crazy and because we all have crazy beliefs Yours just happens to be the one in Magic Underwear. They, that doesn't mean they're persecuting you or think you're a bad person. They just think it's kind of a weird thing that you believe, right? And I will say a caveat that the the history and the education of Mormonism that I have um, relies heavily on the works of Matt Stone and Trey Parker, oh, uh, plus Park, just yeah. personal experiences. Yeah, like Book of Mormon and yeah. South Park and stuff. So like when yeah. I use those terms, it's, it's straight coming from yeah. that. Um, I don't personally use those terms um but yes you know that's that's sort of those feelings that people have because it is a very unknown religion and I think just in in any religion if people or anything really if people Mm -hmm. don't know they tend to joke or poke fun um to ease the uncomfortableness of of not knowing things so I don't want anybody to be offended by me using those terms and I hope they're not offended by you using those terms either because it, it really is just sort of the cultural perception of what people on the outside feel and think and see looking into this organization based on what we've learned in, in just pop culture. I think there's a good tie here to, to MLMs and what we're talking about. When we talk about like this sort of use of the magic underwear, which look, I don't think it's offensive, 
the reason why I don't use it myself and I, and I, and I, I get it for like, like a South Park or for like a Book of Mormon musical, which if you haven't seen that, it's a great musical. I've been to it. Um, when you look at it in the context of like satire and parody, like totally use magic underwear. But where I, and, and I'm going to tie this into this MLM issue that we're talking about. One of the problems, if, if you're being critical of the Mormon church, like you're trying to be intellectually critical or philosophically critical or logically critical of the Mormon church, and you start to use things like magic underwear, like, well, you believe in magic underwear, which is ridiculous. The problem is, is that Mormons don't believe in magic underwear. Like that's not the way they believe in it. And so even though there is some, some, there is some truth there and there is a way to sort of refer to it as magic underwear, you are saying in a way that makes the Mormon think that you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Okay? And, we see that in MLM too. And you see that in MLM. So you, you are just simply feeding into the false narrative of persecution complex where, okay, c- can you technically justify calling garments magical underwear? Yes, because there was a time up until about five years ago the official narrative of the church was that garments do provide you physical protection. Now they did, they put out a video about five I'm years. Sorry, what? Yeah. They really? put out a video. Yes. Wow. That is part of the, yes. And, and that is something I believe my entire life. And in fact, you can go back and look at, for example, there's a 60 minutes interview that was really big at the time. It was in the late nineties um, where the prophet at the time, Gordon B. Hinckley participated and talked to, um, what was the guy's name? Wallace. I, you know, his son, Chris Wallace is on Fox News. I can't remember the, the, the father. Oh, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Famous journalist. He's dead now. And he was like the 60, face of 60 Minutes. Um, something Wallace. <laughs> anyway. I know. It's like um, I'm racking my brain and I can't right, remember. So it was this big hour long piece that they did. And one of the people they interviewed was the Marriott, the head of Marriott, which is a Mormon owned hotel chain. And uh, the Marriott family is a very wealthy, famous Mormon. And so they talked to whoever the you know, the patriarch of that family was at the time. I don't even know if the guy's still alive today. And he tells a story on this 60 minute interview about how he was in a, uh, a, on a boat one time that caught fire. And it was this big sort of, you know, catastrophe. And he had all kinds of burns on his body. And none of the burns were where his garments were. You should he, see my impl- face right now, you guys. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, that was not like a weird thing to say. That's what all Mormons believe. I was brought up believing that if I followed the rules and wore my garments, that I would be protected physically. That's the origin story of calling them magic garments. Now, about five years ago, the church, uh, uh, I, I, I don't remember exactly when it was. It may have been when Romney was running for president, or it may have been after that. I can't remember. But within the last 10 years, the Mormons put out a video and you can still see it online where they talked about garments and they kind of tried to tone down what garments are and made them more symbolic. They, they like compared it to like um, a Muslim men wearing the, the turban or, you know, some sort of like religious garment that was right, uh, symbolic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they, and they specifically said in that video that they are not to provide physical protection. Now, most Mormons actually don't even know that video is out, but most Mormons grew up believing this. Now that's the origin of the Mormon magic underwear thing but the reality is is that's not what's really meant what what is really meant by the garment even in even if i give the most crazy and way mormons were taught about garments what they are is they've got these masonic symbols on them there's one on the knee there's two on the breast and there's one in the navel they're masonic symbols you can look them up online and they're meant to be symbols that remind you 
of the promises that you made when you go through the temple as an adult for the first time. I don't want to get into all of them. I'm giving you a very surface level explanation. Is there a lot of Masonic um, symbolism within Mormonism? uh, Are there a lot of Masons that are Mormons? In the early days, nowadays, most Mormons don't know the connection, but the Mormon, the temple, the primary temple ceremony in the temple, which is called the endowment ceremony, was, is a Masonic ritual. Now it has changed over the years and it doesn't uh, have as much in common with Masonry as it used to, but all of the handshakes, like you hear about secret handshakes or whatever, they're all Masonic handshakes. And the the endowment ceremony that, that Joseph Smith put into place was a basically a one-to-one ripoff to the Masonic rituals back then because Joseph Smith was a master mason. So you have these Masonic symbols. They're meant to, what you're taught in the temple is that these symbols are meant to remind you of the promises that you made in the temple. And the promises that you made are very, you know, it's like, uh, I promise to keep the law of chastity, right? Which is no sex outside of marriage. Uh, I promise to, what's one of the other ones? I promise to, it's been a while since I've been to the temple, but one of them is like, I right. promise to consecrate everything to the church, which wow. they don't, they don't literally mean you have to give everything to the church. But the idea is, is that you'll do everything you can to help build up the church. Is basically okay. The so, interpreted. so I actually have something to add to this. Um, there's a girl on my Facebook who's I've been sort of following her. She's leaving her MLM to join another MLM. That's a ground floor opportunity. I have found out that the business she's promoting is nine years old. I'm sort of working Mm -hmm. on this whole thing and like watching, but she was like talking um, and trying to get people to join. And she's like, you know, would a hundred thousand dollars a month be great. Yeah, it would. Like, I would love to get to that point. And then she says, the first thing I would do is I would tithe 10% to my church and how wonderful it could be for me to give $10,000 dollars a month to my church and all the blessings I could provide and would you know wouldn't you want to be a yeah. part of that too and I'm watching this going oh wow <laughs> this is so predatory right now yeah. um well, and with, so it's that the, sort of same thing yeah from the Mormon that's church is the Christian church it's all part of it well and without getting too derailed and because I mean I could talk about this for hours and hours what I was getting at was is all these promises that you make in the temple, there's like, I think there's like five specific promises. I, again, I, you know, if I'm a little off, remember, I haven't been to the temple in, in like almost 10 years. So I don't know. But um, the purpose of the garment is if you, you're being reminded about the promises, and then if you're keeping the promises, God will protect you. And, and so it goes they, right they, back into prosperity gospel again. So right. like if you're well, doing prosperity what gospel, right, God will protect that, you and give you the good things. And then you can yeah. show and it's this big cyclical circle that proves well, everything going, we're saying. Going back to the magic underwear. So the idea is if I say, okay, the garment reminds me of what I promised. If I keep the promises, God will protect me. Therefore, the garments are protecting me. Therefore, they're magic underwear. But you see how like you can get uh, there, but it's not okay. really it's not really accurate. Right. And so when you say magic underwear to a Mormon, they're shut down. So when you talk about MLMs in a way that like might, you, you might be able to draw that line and it might technically be true. And it might be funny and it might be witty and it might be, you know, whatever. Um, like, okay, fine. But you're going to turn them off. And, and because they right. alienation they're, they're, for sure. And they're conditioned to turn off that kind of stuff for Mormonism, well, they can easily be conditioned to turn off that kind of language 
for MLMs. That was right. what I, that was a long-winded right. way to kind of get to where I was. <laughs> no, I totally got there. And I think a lot of people that that um, don't understand the garments and don't understand religious garments and and things like yeah. that probably got a little bit of an education and went, oh, yeah. okay. And, and look, that's send me a why message. it's interesting. Send- it's very interesting. Yeah, and we could go on and on about it. So just if people have questions, I you know I, they can send me a message and ask me about the garments. Yeah, hit up Ryan if you want to talk the more garments about that are, magic underwear. The garments, <laughs> they are weird. They are wonky, but they're not as weird and nefarious as the average non-Mormon thinks they are. They're right. just some unflattering underwear. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> they like are. silky bike shorts and like a cap yeah. tee. And I'm just like, okay, yeah. you wear that under <laughs> your underwear? Okay. Well, that, right. that's a whole other thing as well. Right. I mean, we can talk about this a whole, whole other debate. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing that I wanted to talk about, um, and another point was not only like the personal connections, again, like yeah. in the church, oh, the like we're yeah. talking about the, the built in network and those personal connections, but also like the testimonials that people hear in the church mm-hmm. are so similar mm-hmm. to the testimonials that you'll hear at a recruitment meeting or training where you've got these people on stage saying, before my MLM, which is synonymous with like, before I found religion, mm-hmm. I was on food stamps. I had, I was living in my car. Uh, I, I couldn't, we could barely I didn't have two bills. pennies to rub together. I right. was doing 18 different jobs, that right. sort of thing until this thing came into my life. And so when, when you sit at church and you hear these testimonials of people who have joined the church and their life is crazy and amazing and wonderful and, oh my gosh, it's everything I've ever wanted, it flows so right in with those testimonials at these recruitment. And they're like, I've heard this before. This is familiar. I understand you're using language indoctrination that I understand and words that, 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 that trigger me and go, oh, this is, this is something familiar. The, 100%. And the other aspect of that too, just to go and take it to the next step, is that it's not just using that familiar language that that uh, you know triggers that comfort level. This part of affinity fraud, but they also, you will often see hear them use coded words that only Mormons will recognize yes. as "Hey, we're both Mormon." And so. I have a personal experience with this. When I was almost sucked into World Financial Group, this happened. I was invited to this meeting by a fellow uh, member of my local congregation, which is called a ward. Um, but again, I, I not only didn't, I, I not only did not know what an MLM was at the time, but I didn't, I obviously didn't know about the Mormon connection either. Okay. Um, and the idea that Mormons would use religion to sort of, it was not on my radar. But we go to this meeting, and of course, there's who knows who's Mormon in the meeting, right? You don't go into this meeting and say, hey, all the Mormons raise your hand. That's not the way the world works, especially I was in Las Vegas. So I'm sure there were people in this room receiving this pitch that were not Mormon. I guarantee it. But there were probably also a number of people that were Mormon. The guy that gets up and gives the presentation, who was you know one of their you know top earners, top executives, whatever you want to call them, He's giving this sales pitch and he throws in words that the average person would just hear as part of the normal sales pitch. But to me and to every other Mormon in the world knew that he was letting us know that he was a Mormon. So for example. And that it was okay to listen to his message and trust him. Right. So it's, and it'll always start out soft. For example, um, family is really important to me. Now, family is important to everybody. Okay, but Mormons believe family is more important to them than anybody else. Now, does that mean he's a Mormon? No, but I haven't. One of my antennas is up now. I'm listening. Right. Okay. So, okay. Family is really important to him. 
he has a van that he lugs all of his kids around in. Again, does that is that exclusive to Mormonism? No, but we've got two antennas, right? Two antennas. Then he talks about how you know other other sort of aspects of Mormon culture, and it, that you know, and he builds up to this thing where he finally says at some point in the conversation that he has an MBA from Brigham Young University. Now it's 100% official. Now to everybody else in the room, they're just listening to some guy talks about how he loves his family and where he went to college. And, you know, maybe they realize he's a Mormon, maybe they don't. It's, it's probably not that big on their radar, right? But to me, I'm not only listening to a sales pitch, I'm listening to a sales pitch of one of my people. Right, okay. someone you and he, like trust because you've been through the same yes. things and, and he would never lead you astray yeah. because he's a Mormon like you. And he did it without explicitly saying he was a Mormon. Now, you get two people in that room. One's a Mormon, one isn't. They're both capable of being sucked in and sold on the sales pitch. But statistically speaking, the Mormon is going to be more likely to get sucked in than the non-Mormon because of that affinity fraud aspect to the pitch. Okay, again, this is not to say you can't be sucked in as a non-Mormon because obviously you can. You're just more susceptible. And so when you hear Mark and Diane, Diane or Deanne, whatever her name Deanne, is. Diane, Diane's her any, twin sister. That's right. <laughs> any of these uh, Mormon CEOs of MLMs and even, uh, and they use these buzzwords, okay, whether they're doing it on purpose or just because of their lifelong condition of how they talk. Right. It well, is having an effect on the Mormon women in that room, more of an effect than on the non-Mormon women. Yes. In LuLaRoe, before they had to change it because it was obviously predatory, one of the things in their mission statement was blessing lives and strengthening families. Mm-hmm. And that was something they were constantly preaching. That, that LuLaRoe was not only blessing lives, which is ding, 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 ding but strengthening families. Ding, 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 ding. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it, it, it's a trigger with, with Mormons. And, and like I said, obviously this is important to non-Mormons too. That's one thing Mormons don't realize is that everybody want, loves their family. Exactly. It's just, everybody it's just wants that. These, they don't use this. A lot of times, no, I almost said normal people, non-Mormons. <laughs> okay. The average American let's say the average citizen of the world doesn't use these, don't say it in these terms. They express it in different language. Right. I mean, obviously I want to strengthen my family, but until I met LuLaRoe, I had never even heard those two words together in that sort of way. Like, I'm like, what? Strengthening families. Um, okay. Yeah, of course. Of course I want to do that. And that's another thing that we talk about on this podcast is a lot of times these MLMs come to you and they ask you like the most ridiculous rhetorical questions. Like, don't you want to make more money? And you're like, who says no to that? Don't you want to be better? Who says no to that? And so they use these incredibly like stupid, no answer rhetorical questions that obviously you're going to say yes to, to get you to listen to the next question and the next thing and get you into that pitch and, and, and affinity fraud, those familiarities that go, Hey, I'm talking to you specifically. Everyone else can hear this, but you are who I'm really talking to. Yeah. And to put a button on what we're saying here and to sort of bring it full circle with some of the other stuff we've talked about, I would venture to guess that every single woman on the planet, if, if asked, would you like to have tons of money and be able to be at home at all day with your kids? I think every single woman on the planet would say yes. 
and, and probably, and probably all the well. husbands too. And all the husbands as well. <laughs> Everyone's like, wait, the I can just stay here and hang out with the people I love the most yes. and not have to do anything. Right. Sign me up. That's the, the dream. Difference, the difference between the average person saying, agreeing they would like that and a Mormon wanting that. And to get, to bring all of this together is that it's not just them as a person that would want to do that, but it would be something that would advance their position, perceived position, status, perceived status within their religion, which is not a component that exists within a non-Mormon person. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and share with all of your anti-MLM friends as well. See you next time.